Well, I invite you to turn with me to uh, Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. And this morning we're, we're deviating from our normal series um, to just address a fundamental question, uh, which is good to address every so often. What is the gospel? And uh, I want to look at verses 1 to 11 in a moment. Before we, we come to that, we'll, uh, we'll pray first. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for uh, your words and uh, for the record we have in scripturated uh, for us written down that we might uh, read it and ponder it and believe it and do it and respond to it we pray Lord therefore you'd help us to understand what, we, what we're reading and uh, to respond rightly we pray in Jesus name Amen so we'll read the passage in a second um, but let me just say a few words of introduction um, we are wanting to get into the habit of um, having a visitor's service every so often. Uh, there's not anything particularly different about the visitor's service except the focus of the sermon will be slightly different. Uh, we want people to, when they come to, to worship, they want, uh, they're not going to experience something totally different from what we normally do. Uh, so uh, there'll be nothing particularly different. But uh, occasionally we're going to be doing this and we'll, over the next, uh, well, in perpetuity, I hope, we'll be doing this. Um, but when we, when we do this, we're going to be coming to uh, the, we want to focus on the simplicity of the gospel and the importance of the gospel message, and to get that sort of front and center in our thinking. Um, because it's this gospel message that has propelled the church into the world, you know, from the earliest days, uh, those early disciples were sent out into the world and they preached with great power and they cha- you know, lives were changed uh, by this gospel message. And today the church continues to grow uh, as it uh, proclaims that gospel. Uh, it's simply a fact of life that in, in the world today the church is bigger than it's ever been. The church is continuing to grow. We may not think so in the United Kingdom or in Western Europe, but across the world, especially in the global south, the church is growing and um, it's leaping ahead and especially in countries where Christianity is not a majority. In fact, in many situations where Christianity is oppressed, the church is growing leaps and bounds. And so we should take great encouragement uh, from that. Uh, just one lo- good, um, you know, like stats. In 2000, uh, year 2000, uh, 54 million Bibles were printed in the world. In 2022, it was 93 million Bibles printed in the world. And it's set to grow to 100 million in 2025, a couple of years from now. Uh, which is incredible. The most read book in the, Bible, in, in the world. And uh, you, know, you just can't touch it. And no other book can touch it. So what is it about this uh, gospel message that seems to have such power to change lives. Uh, what is it? No matter, you know, and this is true, no matter what country you're from, what culture you're from, it really doesn't matter. This gospel message cuts across all of that and reaches men and women from every tribe, tongue, and nation. 
What is it about it that makes the difference? Well, that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to think, what is the gospel? And uh, I want to look at the beginning of this uh, gospel of Mark. Uh, and l- let me read to you, therefore, verses 1 to 11. So let's, uh, let's pay attention to God's word. Mark says, In the beginning of the gospel uh, of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make, uh, make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt round his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens opening and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Well, I've got four things I want to draw your attention to this morning uh, as we consider this passage, and I'll introduce them as I go along. So the first question is, what, is the go- what or who is the gospel all about? What or who is the gospel all about? And Mark opens this book in a very straightforward way. He says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It's not even a sentence, there's no verb. <laughs> it just says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And you'll notice that word gospel is used uh, there. And it's often translated as good news or good message. Um, and that's, well, that's a useful start, isn't it? It's good news. The gospel is good news. And we live in a world today where the, the, the world seems to be full of bad news. Uh, that's what gets people atten- people's attention. That's what news editors on the TV shows uh, think about what's going to get people's attention. And the bad news always gets attention. So they'll tell us all the bad news that's happening in the world. And, uh, you know, so we're always hearing about the cost of living crisis. We're always hearing uh, about wars around the world. We're of murder and violence and difficulties and health problems that people have. And, uh, and so on and so on and so on. And all these things are important, aren't they? Uh, but it's just a world that's full of bad news. It seems to be a constant barrage of bad news. It seems to be very little good news. And, uh, you know, there are positive stories and happy stories every so often. But on the whole, the outlook is negative. Uh, everything's going bad. I met somebody last week uh, as we were doing, going visiting our neighbors, and uh, somebody said to me, you know, things are getting worse. They've never been as bad as they've been, which I think is you know, probably a reflection of the age the person was at, because that's been true of every generation. Every generation thinks that. You know, it's never been as bad as it is today. Um, but uh, that's people's view, isn't it? Things are terrible. And uh, the human heart longs for something to take joy in and to be, uh, to be pleased about and to be happy in. Well, here's something that's good news. The gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And actually the word itself tells you what kind of good news it is. The, the word is uh, euangelion, uh, Greek word. And it was used in the Greek-speaking world to describe the good news that a messenger brings uh, after a battle. You know, so he comes with news of victory. And he comes and declares that the battle is over, it's been won, and here's, that's the good news. So, for example, that messenger that ran the 26, uh, 26 miles from Marathon to Athens after an unexpected victory over the Persians in 490 BC, uh, he was bringing good news. He wasn't setting up a, a race length or anything like that. He was, setting, he was running 26 miles to bring good news. Uh, to the city of Athens to declare that the whole city can relax or can, can be joyful because the battle has been won. That's good news. That's what good news does. Or it's kind of like this. It's kind of like a, you know, you may know, I've experienced this. You've got a friend or a family member or somebody who's had an accident or taken ill or something. And they end up in hospital. And for a long time, there's a lot of tension and worry and concern about that person. You think they might not pull through or they might be permanently damaged or something. And everybody's tense and and worried about what the future is going to hold. And then the consultant comes to you and says, I've got good news for you. He's going to pull through. She's going to to make it. And she'll be back to normal soon. And suddenly everybody is rejoicing and happy. Good news. This is what good news does. Genuine good news does. It changes you. It changes your whole outlook on life. And this is what the gospel that we're talking about here, the gospel of Jesus Christ, does. And genuinely changes people. Changes their whole outlook on life. This is what Mark is doing. It's uh, the, the book of Mark, from beginning to end, is the story of a great victory that has been won. So what's it about? Or rather, who is it about? It is about, of course... Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who has come. It's actually about a person. A person who's come, who he is, and what he has come to do. And it's worth just thinking about this for a second, that the gospel is about the person of Jesus Christ. Because I think people are very confused about what the Christian gospel actually is. You listen to church leaders sometimes as they in this country as they come on the telly and they start talking about what the gospel is and often they're totally confused they give a totally confusing answer about what the gospel is they'll talk about vague things like the love of God and they'll talk about the great work that the church is doing in the world isn't that good news isn't it good that God loves us and all that sort of thing we should love people too but the element that's missing in all of this is the person of Jesus Christ and what he has done to change everybody's view and to change everything for people who will believe in him, believe that good news. You can tell a great deal about a mission, the mission of a particular church and indeed the spiritual health of a person by whether or not they make much of Jesus or they're just talking about general churchy stuff. There's a a local church in my area where I live that puts a a newsletter 
through the letterbox every month. And when you read it, you know, it's quite a thick, le- thick newsletter. A lot of work goes into it. But it's quite hard to find out anything about Jesus in that newsletter. They seem to be more interested in the, the wonderful things the church is doing. And so I'm left to wonder, does this, what does this church think its job is? To proclaim itself and all its goodness? Or to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ? Mark says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So let me put this negatively. What receiving the gospel is not getting religion. It's not about becoming religious. It's not even about attending church. It's not about doing good works and living a good life. Dare I say it. It is not even about showing love to your neighbor. All of these things may be fruits of the gospel, but it's not the gospel. It's about what you and I personally make of Jesus Christ. Let me quote Jonathan Edwards, that great theologian who the Americans claim and the British claim together. (laughs) But he lived in America and New England. And Jonathan Edwards in the 18th century said this, and he's quite searching this, this quotation, so listen carefully. He says, Persons may receive him in profession and carry well outwardly towards him and may wish that they had some of those benefits that Christ has purchased and yet in their hearts not receive Christ. They may never have opened the door of their heart to Christ but have kept him, sh- uh, kept him shut out all their days ever since they first heard of Christ. They, could, they never could find an inclination of heart to receive him, nor would they ever trust him. See what he's saying? You can go to church, you can be a good person, but you can still not receive Jesus Christ. And so the gospel is all about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, someone you can put your trust in. And the news of his great victory. So the question for you and I is, what shall we make of him? Is he good news to you and to me? Is he the one you get thrilled about when you think about the gospel? That's what Mark is all about. He's about presenting to us Jesus Christ. And that's what we are should are and should be about as a church. Presenting Jesus Christ to men and women, boys and girls. Now to see how important Jesus Christ is to the gospel, we next move on to see how actually, uh, how actually he is the Lord who was anticipated long before he came. And so the second point this morning is, he is the Lord anticipated. Verses 2 and 3. You see this in the way that Mark quotes from the book of Isaiah. He says, Behold, It's written in the prophet Isaiah, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Now that was written by Isaiah, 700 or so years before Christ. And Mark is, is not simply plucking out a single verse at random, out of context and everything, and saying, just read that little bit. He's saying, you know, the whole of Isaiah... Is about a prophecy about 
the servant of the Lord coming to deal with all the needs of the sins of, of human beings of all nations. That this is uh, all about the servant who's going to come. And the way is going to be prepared for him. Indeed, John the Baptist is part of that prophecy. He is the messenger that prepares the way for Jesus coming. He's the, the forerunner that goes before my messenger. I send my messenger before your face. John the Baptist is the messenger. And he prepares the way. And that's what John was doing. He was being a, a herald. You know, one of these guys that goes and announces the news to people. Uh, in the olden days before emails and telephones and all the rest of it. Uh, you know, the king would have to send out heralds across the land to, to proclaim the news. I don't know if you remember when King Charles was proclaimed, was proclaimed king. They kept the old tradition. They still have men that go to all corners of the country and they declare that uh, Charles is king over all the land. And it's, it's read out of a, of, of a piece of parchment. And that's the kind of thing that they would, they would do. These heralds would go out and proclaim the news. And that, this is what John the Baptist is. Pointing people to Jesus. Inviting people to believe in him and to follow him. And calling people to repent of their sins. And to mark that repentance with baptism. To come and be baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. Now what does that mean for us? Let me mention, suggest three things. Firstly... All of this means that God was planning for Christ to come. Long before he came, God was planning for Jesus to come. Jesus was no flash in the pan. He was expected, and he came exactly when he was expected. It makes him the most important man who ever lived. Because he is proclaimed hundreds of years before he turned up. Second thing it means for us is that this work of John the Baptist highlights to us what the real problem of mankind is. The real problem is man's sin and his sins that stand against him. Because if we are honest, the reason that there's so much bad news and everybody is so, so concerned about the bad news in the world is because there's so much sin in the world. And if you're really, really honest, you will know that your sins contribute to that. That you're a sinner as well. That you have needs. You need to be forgiven. You need to have your sins dealt with. And the problem is that sin gets everywhere, doesn't it? It's like uh, you go down to the beach on your summer holiday and uh, you enjoy your time in the beach and when you get home at the end you find that your, your clothes and everything is all full of sand. And you haven't got rid of all the sand, and no matter how you try, you can't get rid of the sand. Well, that's like sin. You can't get rid of the sin. You, you may try and be better and all sorts of things and stop doing bad things, but you cannot get rid of it. Here's the third thing that this means for us. We're invited to have a, a right attitude towards Jesus, to see that he is the solution to the problem of our sin. That he's the good news. That he is the one brings the answer. Which brings us to the third point. Third main point. Um, It's the Lord who brings real forgiveness. It's the Lord who brings real forgiveness. Verses 4 through to 8. And I want you to notice the difference between John 
what John says, the difference between himself and Jesus is. So verse 7. After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The first thing he says is, Jesus is mightier. Jesus is stronger. Jesus is more powerful. Jesus has so much more authority than John. So Jesus is a, is a man like John, yet he has power and authority so great that John cannot even stoop to tie up his shoes. And how does he describe that? How's, what, what does that difference look like? Well, he describes it in terms of how baptism happens. What he is able to baptize with. So John can baptize water. Jesus baptizes with the Holy Spirit. John baptized with water when people repented of their sin, and it's probably just, you know, it's intended as a symbolic sign of cleansing from sin, but it was only an outward sign. John himself had no power to actually cleanse from sin. Not even the waters of the Jordan could cleanse from sin. But it's a symbolic act. And only, you know, John can't forgive the sins. Only God can do the forgiving. Because all sins are against God, you see. But Jesus, on the other hand, will do something not with a sign of water, but with the real thing, with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus, you see, was possessed of this power and authority to give the Holy Spirit, to give the, the third person of the Trinity... To a person that he or she might be washed clean and have the sins dealt with. Now, there are great debates about the meaning of the word baptism uh, or to baptize. One of, the, one of the meanings of baptize is to be overwhelmed. And to be baptized with the Holy Spirit is to be overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit. It is a life-changing experience to receive the Holy Spirit. Nothing is ever the same again when you are overwhelmed by him. So Jesus has this power to grant the Holy Spirit so that the recipient is overwhelmed. And, And what John is getting at here is that Jesus Christ has the power to truly forgive your sin, not just symbolically wash it off, but actually to forgive sin. That's what Jesus came to make possible. Not just an outward ritual, not just an emotional response to your, to cause an emotional response to your sin, but to grant you true forgiveness and new life through the power of the Holy Spirit. Have you been baptized with the Holy Spirit this morning? Have you undergone that transformation that the Holy Spirit brings? Or are you just coming to church? Coming to church is one thing, but people need to go to Jesus for baptism. Well, the final part of this great gospel, fourthly, is that the Lord 
is Lord Jesus is beloved of his father, verses 9 through to 11. In verses 9 to 11, we have this remarkable story of Jesus' own baptism by John. And that might seem like a bit of a puzzle. Um, why did Jesus, did Jesus need to confess his sins? Uh, well, of course not. Uh, he, he, was, he didn't sin. So why was he baptized? You know, the testimony of, of all people who knew Jesus was that he did not sin. He was a sinless son of God. So why was he baptized? Uh, what could account for his desire to be baptized? Well, I think it's a signal about his future, his mission that he's on and he's going to finish. What he came to do. Remember I said that uh, to be baptized is to be overwhelmed. Well, Jesus was to speak much later of another baptism. You might like to turn to this, to Mark chapter 10, verse 38. And Jesus says to his disciples, who two of them are making a request to be, to sit either side of him in his kingdom. And Jesus says, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? He's not thinking back to being washed with water. He's thinking about something else. What's he thinking of? He is thinking about the cup, the suffering that's going to come, which he'll experience on the cross. And in a real sense, that death on the cross was a baptism of judgment. So baptism works both ways, doesn't it? It works as, a, as an act of judgment, but it's an act of freedom and washing and cleansing. For Jesus, he took the suffering and the judgment that we might get the cleansing. He came not to serve, to be, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. That's his baptism on the cross. And so his baptism in the Jordan is a signal of why he came. He came as one who is representing a whole load of other people. And therefore he needed to be baptized to stand in the place of all of those other people who deserve the judgment that's going to come upon him. So he would be washed. He would suffer and endure the baptism. It's a signal of what he was coming to do. To die on the cross. Now Jesus goes into the water. He is baptized. And he comes up out of the water. And what happens then? (laughs) The heavens are opened. Something amazing happens in the sky. And the Holy Spirit seems to come down visibly in in the form of a dove upon Jesus. And then the Father speaks from heaven and he says, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. What an amazing thing to happen. Imagine you were there and you saw this. It's as though Jesus has signaled his intent Uh, in his baptism to go and to suffer and endure a dreadful baptism on the cross and then the the heavens open up and say this is my son whom I love 
with you, I'm well pleased. I am so happy that my son is going to do that. And you see this glorious harmony between God the Son, God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit. Trinity involved in the salvation of men and women. The Father speaks from heaven about the wonderful plan of the gospel. Has planned it from ages past. Is coming to fruition in the Lord Jesus Christ. And from whom would come the power to truly forgive sins. And transform lives through the Holy Spirit. That's why Mark can start this book with this glorious announcement of victory. He can report the pleasure of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in it all. An amazing, amazing story. Some amazing good news. Friends, as we finish, this is not just a nice story from 2,000 years ago, is it? Though is that. It's not just there to stimulate our thinking. This Jesus Christ lives today. He rose from the dead, ascended to heaven. And you can approach him today. You can come to him with a repentant heart, trusting him, trusting in the good news that he brings. Saying, I trust you. I believe you have died for sins. I believe that you can deal with my sin. You can come to him. And when you do that, when you believe in him, when you trust in him, you receive the Holy Spirit. You've already received the Holy Spirit when you do that. Because you've changed already. And you can begin to live a new life walking with Jesus Christ. For those of us who are already Christians, this is why we worship week by week. Because we're so thankful for the wonderful good news of Jesus Christ. That's why we come and we keep coming. We come back and we come back. Not even football will keep us away. <laughs> because to know the gospel of Jesus Christ is to, know, is to be made new. And everything changes for you. Because he's brought us into a new and living way. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your wonderful mercy to us in Jesus Christ. Thank you for the wonderful forgiveness of sins through Christ's baptism, through his death on the cross. Thank you for the good news. We pray you'd help us to receive it and believe it with all our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.